Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 14 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is a proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. As we saw in the video, John Newton lived in a world where he was mistreated in the past. But what had happened is that he went on to be a slave trader and mistreated others and lived a life not knowing God. The turning point came when Newton was aboard a ship that was caught in a terrible storm at sea. In the midst of the storm, he cried out a very simple prayer, Lord, have mercy. He was stuck by his own words. He had little to no time for God, and he cared nothing for mercy. But as Newton would later say in one of his hymns, God's grace alone has power to overcome a hearthstone. And the moment grace is felt, then the hardest heart will melt. In the midst of storm, John Newton found God's grace. He became a believer in the one true God and also a person who became a blessing to many and left a legacy as someone who was instrumental in bringing an end to the slave trade. In my sermon, I will be using the term grace a lot. The Bible teaches that grace is the help that comes from God, even when we don't deserve it, to enable us to believe and follow him and also to be a blessing to others. So may I repeat again, it's, it's a help that comes from God, even when we don't deserve it, to enable us to believe and follow him and also to be a blessing to others. We'll be looking at Jonah chapter three today and what we have in this passage is a message that the God of the Bible is a God of grace who deeply desires and wants to enable people from all nations to know him and follow in his ways so that they can be a blessing to others. We'll be looking at this chapter based on three points. One, the messenger, the second, the message, and third, the Messiah. If you have the Bible so open, you have the historical account of Jonah here. The Bible talks about the person called Jonah He's the messenger that we'll be looking at first. It's the first point, the messenger. So who is Jonah? Jonah is from the northern part of Israel, and he lived around the 8th century BC. At that time, Israel was the only nation in the whole world 
where people believed in the God of the Bible. It was very likely that Jonah's parents, grandparents, and relatives also believed in God. He was like a child who was born into a Christian family. His parents would have taught him the Bible since young, and as a grown-up, his full-time job was to convey God's word to other believers in the nation of Israel and their children. His plan was to serve God all through his life by serving the believers in his country. But he had no concern for people in other nations. If we look in chapter 3, verse 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Why a second time? It is because God gave a similar instruction to Jonah at the start of the book in the first chapter. The instruction was to go to a city called Nineveh and convey God's message to them. This is because God is not only the God of Israel, but he is also the God over all nations, and hence he deeply cared about the well-being of the people in Nineveh. However, what we see in the first two chapters of this book was that Jonah did not want to carry out this responsibility. He got on a ship instead, sailed in the opposite direction, and tried to escape because he wanted God to judge and destroy the people of Nineveh. He knew that if he went as a messenger and if people responded, then the God of grace would surely forgive them and keep them safe. Jonah did not want it. Because why he did not want it is because the people in Nineveh were living an evil life and he want, what he wanted really is God's judgment to come upon them. He didn't want God to be gracious towards Nineveh. In chapters 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that there was a storm and the ship, the ship that Jonah was traveling in was in danger of sinking. Jonah knew that the storm was from God, but instead of saying sorry to God and going to Nineveh to convey God's message, he would rather die and told the sailors in the ship to throw him into the sea. Yet just like how God showed grace to John Newton in the storm, the same God also showed grace to Jonah by miraculously keeping him alive in the sea and brought him back safely to dry land. Then we have this third chapter of the book that we are looking at today, where we see God calling Jonah for the second time to be a messenger. Jonah made such a mess of what God called him to do, and God could have easily chose another messenger to proclaim his message. Someone who is obedient and doesn't make a big fuss. God, however, was gracious and chose to give Jonah another chance to be a blessing to the nations outside Israel. One Bible scholar commented that God giving Jonah a second chance was like God saying, I've been gracious to you, Jonah. At least now, would you consider being gracious like me towards the people of Nineveh? This time, he chose to obey and agreed to become God's messenger because he experienced the grace of God firsthand. God's love and grace has transformed this believer and he was open to obey the word of God. Second point is the message. So now that we know that this is the messenger, his name is Jonah, and he was willing to go with the message, now we are looking at what is the message. And verse 4 says, 
40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. It is not good news, isn't it? Imagine you have to convey a message like this to an entire city that you will be destroyed soon. It is a hard message to deliver and definitely also hard for Jonah to proclaim it. Before we dive into what the message actually means, let's have a look at the city of Nineveh, the city that God has chosen to proclaim this message to. Nineveh is a big city. It's the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which is in modern-day Mosul in Iraq. And in chapter 4, it is mentioned that there were 120,000 people. That is a huge number of people for a city that existed in 8th century BC. It is also a prominent city of that time. In modern terms, it is a big metropolitan city like London or New York. It is a city where the rich, the famous, the talented, and the powerful people of those times were living. It was also a city with people who have no knowledge about God. They were the exact opposite of Jonah and the Israelites. The kids there would have never heard about the real life stories of the Bible. There was no one to teach the Bible to the youth or adults in Nineveh. They did not have the Bible or any other piece of literature where they can personally look at and learn about God. And their lives were just exactly the opposite of what God wanted. And they were making a mess of the, of the world that God created. In fact, the Assyrians were cruel and ruthless people. So A.K. Grayson is a professor from Toronto University who did a lot of research on the Assyrian Empire. In his book, Assyrian Inscriptions, he mentioned one Assyrian king's inscription. This is what it said. I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and legs. I cut off others' noses and ears. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I, I made one pile of the living and one of the heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. Another book in the Bible called Nahum also described how brutal Assyrians were. It says, Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Who has not felt your endless cruelty? Nations from near and far, like Jonah, including Jonah and the Israelites, were well aware of the cruelty of the Assyrians. But everyone was afraid of them as they were the powerhouse of the ancient world. No one dared to question their actions. How about God? Nothing escapes God. God knew everything, and in chapter 1, we see that God said that the city's wickedness has come before his eyes. And he wants to be gracious towards them, not like, not like Jonah. And he chose a messenger, that's Jonah, and he was supposed to tell the people of Nineveh that God is looking at all, of, all that you do and you're answerable to him for your actions. This is a message that Bible says is foundational and needs to be heard by people from all nations because God is a God of the universe. So it applies even for people from any nationality who live even during this 21st century. There is an American saying that says, what happens in Las Vegas stays in Vegas. 
with God, that is not true. God knows everything that we do, including our thoughts, imaginations, words, actions. God has created all human beings in his image, and what we do ought to bring honor to God. So I'm from India, and I still remember my growing up years as a schoolboy. Our school uniform was a white shirt and a dark blue trousers. Every day my mom uh, would make sure that my school uniform was sparkling clean and well ironed. Why? This is because the way I dressed reflected my family honor. Back in those days, I didn't care about my family's honor. I would normally go to school a little bit earlier so that I could play football with my friends before class started. So by the time the class started, my uniform would be dirty. And I have heard countless times where my class teachers and classmates would talk about my parents and the way they brought me up. My parents' name was dishonored in the society because of what I did. This passage shows that the Assyrians also got their clothes dirty and brought shame to God who created them. The Bible also says that if we don't honor God with every word and action and imagination, then we are also like the Assyrians. Yes, none of us would have committed any serious crime. We try to live a life of honor. We try to keep our lives clean and keep ourselves far from things that bring shame to our family or actions that might ruin our career. But every lie we tell, every dishonest act we do, every unkind thought, every selfish desire, every hateful thought that we think of others, and our refusal to forgive them, every desire for something that belongs to someone else, puts the God who created you and me to shame. Just like how I got my clothes dirty and put my parents to shame. The Bible teaches that we all have put the one who created us to shame with our actions. You might argue that the things I do, the things you do, the things or talk about or things that are, everyone does it anyway. But even a small black mark can be clearly seen on a white shirt. We often try to hide reality or sometimes try to run away. But deep in our hearts, we know that we have shamed our creator God with our actions. God clearly sees who we are. And this message to the people of Nineveh is also applicable to us. God also wants to convey the message that we have dishonored him. And if we don't acknowledge and say sorry to God, we will need to face the consequences of our actions. The Bible teaches that our actions that shame God are like cancerous cells. And it will soon bring an end to our lives. God is like a doctor who makes an honest assessment of our situation. And he wants to be gracious towards us. It is not an easy message. But God considers it to be a vital message that people from all nations should hear so that God could be gracious. Now that we know that what the message is, let us take a look at how the people in Nineveh responded. Response to the message. There are three possible ways that the people in Nineveh could have responded to God. One, the king and the authorities could have chosen to torture and kill Jonah the messenger. 
like how they would treat their enemies. Who is this one man from a very small nation to tell a mighty nation like Assyrians about of our fate? That's one possibility. And the second possibility is that they might think that the, this man from Israel is trying to promote his culture and his territorial God, a God who is relevant to him, but is no relevance to us. In our country, we do not need God. We believe in modern science or have thousand other gods who can help us, who needs just one God. The third possible response is, after listening to Jonah, they might reflect and say to themselves, if in case there is one true God over the whole universe, and if this is the message that God wants to convey to us, then how should we listen and respond? Interestingly, the most ruthless people from the city of Nineveh chose the most unlikely response. They actually chose the third response. Let us look at verse 6. It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from the throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. For a king, the robe is a sign of authority. And in normal circumstances, a king would remain on his throne, wear his kingly robe, and display his authority to the people. But here in this passage, we see the, the great king of the Assyrian Empire, he chose to remove his robe, acknowledging and submitting to someone else who is in greater authority and power, and that is not Jonah, that is the God of the Bible. But, he, but the king doesn't stop there. Not only did he take off his royal robe to show that God and his word should be honored, he also put on someone, something else. So he puts on a sackcloth. In ancient days, sackcloth was worn to show that someone is deeply grieving in their heart. Through his actions, the king acknowledged that God was greater than him and that he deeply regretted that he has dishonored the one true God of the universe. This was the first time the people in Nineveh receive a message from the God of the Bible. And it's not the whole Bible, but a short message from God, who is the judge of the whole world. Yet they responded by acknowledging that the message was for them, and they are sorry from their heart, but also genuinely want to see change in their lifestyle, and they sought God for help. This response is what God expects from each and every one of us too. Contrast this response with Jonah's response in the first two chapters. Jonah was a man who knew all about God. He had the head knowledge, and he was even teaching the whole nation about God. But his heart was not receptive to God's word and did not do what God wanted him to do. The people of Nineveh, on the other hand, knew nothing about God, but receiving just one word from the Bible, their hearts were responsive when the truth was proclaimed to them. If you're thinking, I'm not from a Christian family or know anything from the Bible, it is not about how much knowledge you have. It is about how you listen 
to the word that comes to you from God. And even if it's just one truth that you learn from the Bible, it's all about how you respond to the truth. God will then bring about the restoration. Let me pause here and ask you, what would be your response to the message from the Bible? The third point is the Messiah. The messenger delivered the message, the Ninevites accepted the message, but beyond this point, if there is no living God, there will be no transformation. However, in verse 10, if you look at the Bible, the Bible says, there was a living God who was seeing everything that the Ninevites were doing and how they turned from their evil ways. And then what he does is that he personally relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he threatened. So here they use the word relented. So it says God relented. How do we explain that? We could read this passage and say that God does get things wrong at times and had to change his mind. If that is the case, is that the case? Let us look at a couple of things the Bible says about God. One is, what the Bible teaches is that God never ever changes his character. And the second thing is, God does not change what he wills to do in this world. He has a fixed plan for the human beings even before he created the universe. And he does not have a plan B just in case his plan A fails. When this verse says God relented, it does not mean that God was acknowledging, oh no, I've made a mistake and I have to change my plans. God is steadfast and never changes his character. Instead, he was showing mercy. God the judge was also a God of mercy. That is the very nature of God. The Bible tells us over and over again that when someone says sorry and show deep regret in their hearts, God was willing to show mercy and forgive them. So here, God was being true to himself and his character, and when the people of Nineveh repented, he chose to show mercy. God can choose to show mercy to even each and every one of us here too, because someone else has already paid the price on our behalf. It is not because we have done enough good things, such as feeding the poor, giving money and shelter to the homeless, or campaign for climate change, etc., hoping that God will overlook the stain in my white shirt. At the end of the day, that one black stain would still be visible in God's eyes. What we actually need is another shirt which is spotless and clean. So how does God show mercy? If you continue to read the Bible, it talks about someone called the Messiah or Jesus Christ, who is the God who came to earth as a man. Jesus lived a life as a man for 33 and a half years in this world. He never dishonored God and never got his shirt dirty. Every single action of Jesus brought honor to God, yet he allowed himself to die a cruel death on the cross and was publicly put to shame. Jesus was willing to be shamed so that we could receive honor from God. Jesus was punished so that God can show mercy. 
This is what St. Augustine, a Christian leader in the 5th century AD in North Africa said um, uh, when people ask, are Christians good people? So he said, we are not good, but God had pity on us and came to die on a cross. Not for good men, but for bad ones. Not for the just, but for the wicked. Yes, Christ died for the ungodly. Then he explains a Bible verse from the book of Romans. He says, one will hardly die for a righteous man, for an unjust man like me, a Christian, for a wicked one, the one who dishonored God, who would be willing to die except my Savior, Jesus Christ alone, so that we can find honor with God. That was St. Augustine's response to the unbelievers who said, Christians are good people. And this is how God shows mercy to people from all nations. If we go to God and tell him that we are sorry for getting our shirts dirty and dishonored him, God will not only accept our dirty shirts, he will also give us a clean spotless shirt of Jesus in exchange as a gift and it's free of charge. Those who have put on the clean shirt of Jesus no longer can bring shame to God. Instead of shame and punishment, we will be offered a relationship and harmony with God and we can enjoy the blessings that come from the one true living God. All we need to do is say I'm sorry, I want the gift that you offer. So if you're an international and is hearing God's message for the Bible, from the Bible for the first time, may I ask you to think about a few things. Would you like to accept this gift of grace that God offers to you in Jesus to believe and follow him? This gift is offered here and now. It's not in the afterlife. It is free and, is, and God is willing to offer any time as he looks at everyone's hearts, whoever repents, will have the free gift of salvation. The second is, what is the legacy you want to leave in this world? Like John Newton and the people of Nineveh, God's grace can transform your life and make you a blessing to your family, your friends, in your workplace, and in your nation. God's grace is not limited to this world, and thus also promise a life beyond this world with God. If you'd like to discuss more about what you heard today, yeah, please feel free to talk to me or Lana, anyone else who was in the front. We'll be more happy to talk to you. And if you'd like to have more Bible studies during the week on a regular basis, please come and chat to me as well. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and have already received the free gift of God, what does this passage have to say to you? Firstly, let us hold on to the identity we have in Christ through God's grace. Our identity is rooted in who we are in Christ and not measured by what we do or do not do. Jesus told his followers that when we call God our Father, we can call God our Father. I have a nine-month-old son, and regardless of whether he obeys me or not, I would love him and will always be his father. The book of Jonah does not convey the message that God is only concerned about the mission, but it, it clearly shows that he's very, very concerned about the messenger as well. If that is the case, he, if that is not the case, he could have ditched Jonah and sent someone else 
But God did not let go of his faithful commitment towards Jonah. Even when Jonah abandoned God, we have a God who does not let go of us. The grace that has helped us thus far in our spiritual journey will also enable us to do the things God calls us to do and will lead us safely home. Secondly, this, we see in this passage, when Jonah fulfilled his calling, transformation happened in Nineveh. In the midst of our busy family life, work life, church life, for some of us, all we could do is take some time during a week or during a month to meet another person who doesn't know about God, have a coffee, and talk to them if they're open about spiritual things. All that is that we can do. But all God wants us is that we be open to use whatever opportunities, whatever influence we have, and whatever giftings we have for the spread of the gospel. However, this, this passage also tells to believers that we need to be very aware of the deep resistance that lies in a believer's heart. We saw that Jonah was the only one who wants to be disobedient to God's word. And he never wanted to carry out the mission of God. So John Piper, a Christian minister, shares his reflection on his heart's desire towards mission in this book, Don't Waste Your Life. He says, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call Earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the spiritual warfare. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I, start, I stop dreaming about the triumphs of God's grace. I sink, I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man could do, not what God can do. It is a terrible spiritual sickness. That's what John Piper says. So let us be open to God's grace dealing with our shortcomings and enabling us to play a part in his mission for the nations to know about God's grace. Let us pray.